Well, today we are going to look at two uh, different parts of Genesis, actually. Uh, it's very interesting, I think, the, um, the section in chapter 16, and then we're going to look at a little part of chapter 21. And the reason for that is, is we want to focus today on, uh, yes, understanding the big picture of the text, what's going on, but also, very interestingly, uh, this woman whom God seems to care about, who is not an Israelite, who is not one of the chosen people, but is of all things an Egyptian. And it's a fascinating uh, part of the text. And, uh, and so first we want to understand, yes, what's going on in the big picture, but then sort of marvel at the interest that God pays to this woman. Okay, so we're in chapter 16. In chapter 15, that is where God enters into officially the treaty with Abraham, the, the covenant with Abraham. He's already made the promises of descendants and land and, you know, uh, you know and his, the vision for the chosen people and all of that. Uh, uh, but now in chapter 15, uh, Ab Abraham was, uh, you might say, obsessed with who's going to be the heir. In order for any of these promises to come to pass, there has to be an heir. And uh, according to uh, the ancient world, if you didn't have an heir, your heir could be a servant in your, in your house. And so according to the natural way of thinking, that's what, that's what Abram is thinking. And then God tells him, don't fear, I'm your shield, I'm your guard, I'm going to provide for you. Out of your body, will, you, know, you, will, you will have a, a child, not him by himself, uh, but he and his wife. Would, uh, would have a child, and this would be the chosen one. Uh, and on top of it, you know, and you'll have all the land. And then Abraham asked the great question, well, how do I know? And then God enters into this physical treaty, and it's amazing. We talked about it last time, how God obligates himself using uh, illegal means in the ancient world. In other words, it's almost like, like God saying, okay, I will sign a contract. And then you'll know, because that's what you understand, you know? Isn't that amazing that the God of the universe would be so loving to, to say, you know, I will, I will I, uh, obligate myself. I will condescend, in a way, to your world so that you will know that I'm going to bring this to pass. It's amazing. Uh, and so now in chapter 16... Now uh, we're getting into uh, a, a section that has to do with children being born. And, uh, and it's very interesting. So we see at the beginning now, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, Perhaps I shall obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of uh, Sarai. And after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to Abram, uh, to her husband, Abram, his wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. 
And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled uh, from uh, her presence. So there's a lot that we could say about this. The first thing, I think, the first great observation here is, uh, is that Sarah is doing something here that we, might, that we all might think about. That I know what the plan of God is, I know what's supposed to happen, and so I'm going to make it happen. It's a little bit like Rebecca, uh, a little bit later. I know what the plan is, so uh, I'm going to strategize uh, our way through this to bring about what God desires. Now, you know, uh, in a recent Darash, I used the, uh, I used the phrase armchair patriarch, meaning that we like, to, uh, we like to play the role of the perfect patriarch and that, well, there, you know, how could Sarah do such a thing? And then how, why did uh, Abraham uh, listen to her? And, you know, and we make it almost like a, a, a TV drama in the 21st century, you know, or, or, or something. We're talking about people who lived in the ancient world. And what Sarah is doing here is a very natural thing. This having a maid who you give to your husband when you are childless was a normal thing. Almost as normal as like today, if a couple is childless, going to an agency and receiving a child that another woman bore. We call that adoption. Okay? In the ancient world, that did exist as well, but this was something that was, uh, you know, that was a, a, a natural uh, occurrence. And uh, there are ancient law codes, like the Hammurabi law code, which, you know, comes from this, generally speaking, time period in the ancient world, attests uh, to this. And what is interesting is that while we can't tell exactly when Abraham lived, I mean, pin it down to the, I know there are some who do, but pinning it down to the, like, the exact year, what's interesting is in these ancient law codes, over a period of, of 2,000 years, which covers the second millennium BCE and the first millennium BCE, which covers some period of time when Abraham lived, that this was a normative, uh, a normative uh, uh, practice. Okay, so I want us to understand that. Uh, and there's a reason. There's a reason for understanding that. All right. So uh, here uh, we see that th th this is what they do, uh, and uh, uh, we see that Hagar conceives, and then Sarah. Then her mistress was despised in her sight. Okay? Then Sarah said to Abram, You know, okay, may the wrong done me be upon you. 
Uh, so Sarah's now uh, very angry about all of this, right? So uh, evidently, uh, perhaps she's either jealous or maybe Hagar is sort of glowing, uh, y- you might say, and, uh, and there is trouble in the house, right? I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight, okay? So they're despising each other. Okay, uh, may the Lord judge between uh, you and me. Now, it's interesting. I'm going to read um, a little paragraph from the, uh, this ancient Hammurabi code. When a free man marries a woman and she gave a female slave to her husband uh, and she has then born children, if later that female slave has claimed equality with her mistress, Because she bore children, her mistress may not sell her. She may mark her with a slave mark and count her among the slaves. So the point being, this is not the exact situation, but you can see that when a wife gives another woman to her husband and she conceives and bears children, the wife, the original wife, can mark her as a slave, and, and, and she is viewed in a very low, low, low esteem. Okay? And so it seems that something like that is, uh, is going on here. Okay? All right. But Abram said to Sarah, right? we read this, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do with her what is good in your sight. This is not, this is not a case of... See, Abraham didn't take charge of his family, and there you go, he let his wife do You know, you hear things like that, you know, as if, again, uh, uh, as if we're almost looking at uh, people like, uh, you know, Ralph and Alice Cramden or something, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's ridiculous. In the ancient world, what they're doing, the way that they are interacting was very natural in the ancient world. Okay, so Sarah treated her harshly and she fled from her presence. And this is not to say good or bad on Sarah or Abram. I'm just saying that they're acting like people did at that time. And it's important for us to know that and we'll understand that in just a second. Okay, so uh, now we see that uh, uh, Hagar, this pregnant Egyptian woman, runs away. Right? And by the way, in the text, you want to file this away too. She's always called Hagar, the Egyptian woman. Right? The text wants us to remember that she's Egyptian. Okay? Now, you know, there are no coincidences in the Bible. And isn't it interesting, in the last chapter, in chapter 15, what did God tell Abram? That his descendants were going to dwell for about 400 years in a land that's not their own. And we know what land that is. It is the land of Egypt. And so here is this Egyptian woman, Hagar, who has this low, low place now that she uh, has been the maid who's given to the husband, bears, is going, is she's, con- she's conceived, she's going to bear a child, and now the wife places her in a very low, low rank, a very low place. And she runs away. It kind of tells us that Abram and Sarah, in their world, at that time, did not view Hagar in very high esteem. Oh, but a contrast 
is coming. In verse 7, this is an amazing, an amazing thing. We're so used to reading these texts and getting through them and what's in the next chapter. We need to pause and think about this. Now the angel of the Lord, and here's the first time we read about the angel of the Lord in the Bible, found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. That means she was on her way back to Egypt. Shur was uh, down there, uh, not far you know, from uh, Arish and those places. And uh, uh, the, the northern... Actually, you know where it is? It's not... Well, I don't know how many miles it is. But it's kind of in the same region as where the mosque in uh, Egypt uh, was attacked this week. It's not there, and it's not right next to there, but it's in that north... Uh, eastern corner of Egypt by the Sinai, okay? And, uh, and, and so she was on her way there, all right? Uh, on her way home, on her way back to Egypt. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid. Well, this is interesting. This is one place where she's not called the Egyptian. That's kind of interesting. Also, the angel of the Lord knows her name. And the angel of the Lord knows her situation, Okay? Where have you come from and where are you going? Now notice her answer. She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Sarai. She never says, she never says where she's going. But we know from the narrator. But she only says where she's coming from. And so it makes you wonder, you know, did she, uh, uh, did she think she was going to get there? Was it really far away? But what's on her mind is she's fleeing from Sarah. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Okay? Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they shall be too many to count. Now, it's very important that he says both of those things at the same time. So he says to her, almost like the, the unthinkable, go back. Go back to Abram and Sarah. But he says in the next verse, I'm going to protect you. You're going to give birth. And, and, uh, and notice what he, what he uh, says. I, I, uh, okay, uh, let's see. I will greatly multiply you, your descendants so that they shall be too many to account. So you have to infer, he's saying you're going to give birth to a son. So you'll have a lot of descendants from, you know, from a son. Uh, and that you will be protected. You'll be, you'll be able to uh, give, uh, give birth. And now the angel of the Lord makes a promise uh, to her uh, about, uh, uh, about her son. Now when we read this, this is a little reminiscent, not the same a little reminiscent about what you read about the descendants of Cain and kind of reminiscent of what you read about the descendants of Esau. It's kind of interesting. It's sort of like one of those, you know, uh, uh, backhanded blessings where you're going to be, you're going to have many, 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 many uh, descendants, but they're going to be uh, wanderers. Uh, you know, they're going to be men of war and things of that nature. Uh, but that you will be the father of, uh, he will be the father of many nations, many peoples. 
So the angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. It's a great formula of many of the great uh, uh, Bible heroes. It's kind of interesting, just the phrase that's used. You are with child, you shall bear a son, and you shall name him Ishmael. God has heard. God has heard what it means. Because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. And there you go. Because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. And so we can stop there and sort of just notice this, that uh, God sees the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Sarah, sees Hagar, basically this homeless pregnant lady whose life is in danger. I mean, in the ancient world, pregnant women traveling alone did not fare well. But here the angel of the Lord, and here he appears for the first time, and we'll just say the presence of God, talks to this woman and says, I hear you. I hear your affliction. I hear what you're going through. I see you. I hear you. And I'm going to take care of you. You are going to conceive. You are going to bear a son. And you are going to name him God Hears. Wow. Now, he then says, And he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. And everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of his brothers. So basically, the, um, the Ishmaelites uh, end up being Arabian people that live in the desert. And they become, as time goes on, they become amalgamated with the Assyrians. But in chapter 25, I believe, where you read about the descendants of uh, Ishmael, you find them, you, can, you will find them if you, if, if you have a good Bible map or atlas, they're located in the northern Arabian area. Now, it's important to understand, though, that when you read about the descendants of Esau, they are also located in the Arabian Peninsula, okay? And when you read about the Edomites and the Moabites, they're all east of the brethren. They're all east of of the, uh, you know, of the Israelites, okay? They're all east of the Israelites. Now, uh, over time, it seems that the Ishmaelites, uh, they certainly, they become traitors, T-R-A-D-E-R-S, right? Traitors, because we read about them. Does anybody remember where we read about them? In the Joseph story. And we can't tell if they have, they have somehow amalgamated themselves with the Midianites, and so if, if just a short time later, they're already amalgamated with the Midianites, you can only wonder what takes place over the course of the next thousand years uh, you know, or so about where all these people are located. So it's way too simplistic for us to say, well, you know, the Ishmaelites are all the Arabs and the Palestinians. That's the Ishmaelites. If Sarah hadn't, uh, if Sarah and Abraham hadn't uh, conceived this idea where Hagar goes, you know, has a child, then we wouldn't have this at all. That is way too simplistic, okay? Uh, because there were a lot of other peoples. Remember when we were back in uh, uh, in the Noah story, and we talked about where the sons end up. Remember that some of the Hamites end up in the Arabian Peninsula. 
uh, as well as lots of the Semites end up in the Arabian Peninsula. So there's a lot of peoples that, uh, that end up there. But the Ishmaelites, you know, we do read about in history uh, up to maybe the 5th century or something, something like that, okay? All right, so the point being is that he's not the chosen one, and he's sort of like defined as not the chosen one. He's going to be a wild donkey of a man. Everyone will be against him. He's going to be a, um, he's going to uh, have a, a different, you know, his ancestors are going to have a difficult time. They're going to be fighters, so on and so forth. Uh, but nevertheless, she is going to have this child. And that, for her, is, is vitally important. And the fact that she sent back to Abraham and Sarah is very interesting because it, it kind of identifies her with Abraham and Sarah. And what we see here, one of the things we see here in the big picture is God blessing, we'll just say the other, the not chosen. God is blessing the not chosen, okay? Uh, and uh, we could define the other they're not chosen in this context and in Genesis, for that matter, as those who are related to the chosen, but not the chosen. You know, like Esau, and you have, you know, here Ishmael. But Hagar, uh, this uh, Egyptian woman whom God uh, 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 cares for, tells us something, and as we'll see. All right. Then, now, in verse 13. Then she called upon the name of the Lord. She called upon the name of the Lord. The Egyptian Hagar calls upon the name of the Lord who spoke to her, Thou art a God who sees. For she said, Have I remained alive after seeing him? She has this encounter with God. She recognizes the God of Israel. She recognizes that it is the God of Israel who spoke to me and yet I live. In other words, she recognizes the holiness of the God of Abraham and Sarah. And so what an amazing picture we have here of this one who is with Abraham and Sarah, but not the chosen. And not only not the chosen, but not even from the family. Everybody else is from the family. Rebecca is from the family. Rachel, Leah, they're all related. They're all close cousins. We'll get there. You'll see, right? But not Hagar. She is a foreigner. She is the last person that we're supposed to expect that the God of Israel is paying attention to and sees her plight and blesses her and talks to her and encourages her and tells her that, yes, you are indeed going to have a son. And his name is God Hears. Wow, that's really something. Now, as we're reading this, well, oh, I should say uh, this. Then we read, uh, therefore, the well was called Bir Lahe Roy, because it is between uh, uh, Kadesh and Berad. Be the, the well of the, where, God, where God heard me, basically, okay? Uh, and so it's like commemorated. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. He's born. At this point, reading this, we might wonder, you know, 
Is, she, is this the, the chosen one? It's kind of interesting. Uh, and because what we're reading here is basically uh, how Abram and Sarah figure out, well, this, this must be the way it's going to have to work. And we see how it plays out. God does not condemn the woman. God does not condemn the child. No. That's why we need to go to chapter 21. Okay? All right. You know, well, I'll just say very quickly, in chapter 17, this, in chapter 17 is where God uh, uh, gives Abram the outward sign of the covenant being circumcision. And we read that Ishmael is circumcised. So far, it's looking like Ishmael's the man, right? Then we have, uh, you know, uh, then back at the ranch, so to speak, uh, we have the issue of, uh, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah uh, and, uh, and so on. And um, we go all the way over to chapter 21 and we continue the story. It's a little while later, uh, you know, of uh, now Isaac's going to be born. But now we have Hagar and the child, and something happens. That's very similar uh, to what we read in chapter 16. So basically, in chapter 21, uh, you know, between, I'll just say it like this, between chapter 16 and 21, that's where the, you know, the three men come, and, and, uh, and uh, Abram is told that uh, Sarah is going to have a child, and he laughs right? Uh, and, uh, and then later on, she laughs. Uh, and, uh, and then there's the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and so they're both laughing about this promise. Uh, and now in chapter 21, it, the promise comes to pass, and Isaac is born, who's therefore named laughter. Yitzchak is what it means, okay? So we see at the beginning of, uh, the, beginning of the chapter, of chapter 21, then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abram in his old age at the appointed time which God had spoken to him. And Abram called the name of the son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Yitzchak. But you know what's kind of in, just a little one of those isn't it interesting things? It never says his name Yitzchak because, because of something. Unlike uh, when Ishmael was born, because, the, you know, the Lord took heed of your affliction. It just says here they named him Yitzchak, okay? Abram circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abram was, Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me, right? She, uh, and she said, who would have said to Abram and Sarah, would, that Sarah would nurse children, yet have borne him a son in his old age. All right. So now a few years go by, and the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on that day when Isaac was weaned. Now, now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Okay. That is one big loaded word right there. It means playing. The word means playing. And playing in the text of the Bible can range from everything from playing, like playing a game, to making fun of, to sexual abuse. It can be anywhere in that, okay? So 
what we mocking is sort of like the middle ground that is not bad. I uh, uh, most likely nobody knows exactly what it is. You know, it's kind of like that thing with Ham and his father. Nobody knows exactly what it is. Nobody knows here exactly what uh, what took place. Most people use uh, mocking as acceptable. Whatever it was, uh, Sarah says, get rid of both of them. Get rid of both of them. All right? Therefore, she said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. Now, we might ask ourselves, well, wait a minute. We already have that promise. We already know that uh, he's not going to be an heir. Uh, because of the promise. But in the world at that time, Ishmael would naturally have a share of the inheritance. Okay? And see, this is very important because what's happening in chapter 16 and here in chapter 21, one of the things that's really that's being brought out by all of this, which is the same principle as all the passages as the older serving the younger, okay? and of barren women unable to have children, and then they have children. You ever notice that's like a theme in Genesis? That this, it is only the sovereign God who provides the promised child. That according to, the, according to the natural civil way that people acted in that time, okay, Ishmael could have been the chosen child. Ishmael would have a share of the inheritance. But you see, God, in a sense, uses Ishmael to make the point that the chosen is Isaac. And, and it is, he is the child of promise. And it is his descendants who are the heirs and not Ishmael. This was the promise of God. And so what we see in Abraham and Sarah here in chapter 16 and here in chapter 21 is that there is this, in a sense, like a little bit of a tug of war of, I know what God has promised, but how is it ever going to happen? You know? So what we see is that Abraham and Sarah are acting very much like human beings in this text. Not bad human beings, like human beings. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. All the time. We do it in very, um, uh, in ways that, that we would never realize. Right? If we, um, you, you know, it's very interesting. Let me tell you a quick story about that. You know, when we were located on Hamilton Road, right, we, I uh, believe that God wanted us to, um, to move, to sell that property and move so that we could build a building that even looked something like uh, a synagogue or even a place of worship, <laughs> Right? Uh, with a definable front door, <laughs> if, you, if you remember that, that building, right? Uh, and it was very narrow. It just wasn't conducive for the future, right? And so we prayed about it, and we, and we went out, and we, we looked, and we were going to sign a contract here, and we were going to do this, and we, and we were going to figure this out. We had a strategy. We're gonna, and then we came to the place where we realized, you know, it's not happening so we are going to just stop and we're just going to pray and we're going to 
uh, we have what we have, and we're going to start thinking about just doing, making alterations here, and stop. Then the next thing you know, there's a knock at the door, and a realtor says to us, I have somebody that wants to buy your property for six times what you paid for it. And hey, by the way, there's a, there's a place around the corner that's going to be for sale, but nobody knows about it yet. And it was just like dominoes, just like dominoes. We didn't have to work on it that much. After working on it, we didn't have to work on it that much. God just, and there it was, you know? I could go even farther back and say, when, even when we were meeting at New Life, and, uh, you know, and we were, um, we announced to the congregation at a congregational meeting that we're going to, um, you know, we believe that God wants us to have our own place and not meet in churches, right? Oh, there's no way that's going to happen. Oh, there's no way, right? And just little by little here and there, and then I end up meeting a guy who uh, meets in a funny-looking house with a, with a big A-frame meeting room, and oh, you, can, you can meet with us. And, and, uh, and then uh, that congregation, I'll just say, kind of ceased meeting, uh, and the denomination says, oh, we want to give you this property for, uh, for the appraised value when it was all cornfields. Oh, okay. And, they, and they, they said, we want, but we want you to come up to Canton to our headquarters because we want to meet with you. So uh, if Chris was, oh, Jerry remembers this, I'm sure. Chris is not here. That uh, we're thinking, the four of us, Elliot, Jerry, Chris, and myself, we're thinking, okay, now what if they say this? Well, what, what, what are we going to say? You know, what they want, you know what the entire meeting was? They wanted to know how we came to know the Lord. So they wanted to know. How do you come to know the Lord? Tell us more about how Jewish people uh, come to faith in the Messiah. And it was like, there was nothing to discuss. Uh, they couldn't give it to us faster, you, you know? Uh, and that's inter- interesting. Isn't that interesting just how God works? Um, and it's kind of like this. And, but it's kind of like a lot of things in life. God, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, God is going to do this work in our life, so we're going we're gonna to make it happen. We're going ma- to work and we're going to make it happen. Sometimes you just have to wait, and God will bring it to pass at the appointed time. And that's where wisdom comes in. You know, that's where wisdom, there's no formula, but it's where wisdom comes in. And that's what we see taking place with Abraham and Sarah. It becomes very definable that God is the one who's going to bring it to pass. And we, the reader, are supposed to get that, okay? That there's nothing natural about the formation of this family. It's all supernatural. It's all coming from God. Uh, And we'll see that play over and over again. Now, the other thing that we see here is the promise that God made to, um, uh, to Abram, that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And what we see is that this woman, who is connected to Abram and Sarah, God deeply cares. Uh, God deeply cares about. Okay, so we see here, now in verse 10, Therefore she said to him, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. And the matter distressed Abram greatly because of his son. Right? Uh, but God said to Abram, do not be distressed because of the lad and, uh, and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants will be named. And the son 
of the maid, I will make a nation also, because he is your descendant. Because he is your descendant. God is going to bless Ishmael because he is a descendant of Abram. And God comforts Abraham. God loves, uh, God, Abraham loves Ishmael. And God comforts him and says, don't be distressed. This looks really bad, but I'm going to protect this woman. And, and your son, Ishmael, is going to become a nation. Now, what's interesting is that Hagar doesn't know this yet at this point. She has in her head what was told to her when she was pregnant, but now it seems like all is lost. It seems like, how, how, could this, how could this be coming from the God who saw my affliction? Because now she's going into the wilderness with a child. Now she's going to be this homeless woman with a child. And all looks lost. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder. And she and gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. Well, you know, if you've ever been to Israel, you're usually on a bus looking out the window on the way to Beersheba. And it doesn't look too appetizing to be uh, walking around with a little bit of food and water with a child and wondering where what's going to happen to me. Well, we see how, what, what, how she's handling this. Then she went and sat down opposite him, about a bow shot away, for she said, Do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. So here, she basically is at the bottom. She places him, you know, uh, just as it says, uh, uh, in, in the bushes. And she sits down and just, this is it. We're going to die. And she cries out. And God heard the lad crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Now, what's interesting here is that God hears Ishmael. God hears the angel of the Lord has heard her voice. That's who, appear, who, she, who she sees. But here now in chapter 21, it's a voice from heaven hearing Ishmael. Okay? Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. Okay? And gave the lad a drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew, and he lived in the wilderness, and became an archer. And he lived in the wilderness of, pa of, pa of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And so we see how God cares for this Egyptian woman and her son, the other, the one who's not chosen, uh, the one who in that culture normally, given the same set of circumstances, would, uh, would die. So it speaks, I think, uh, to us a little bit. You know, uh, let me just say, we may wonder, what, what happens at the end of the Ishmaelites? Well, I would suggest that when you read in Isaiah chapter 19 about the road that goes from Egypt to Assyria, right? 
that, uh, that everything from Egypt to Assyria is blessed. And ultimately, after all judgments are done and all that, worships God. And I would suggest that Ishmael, the Ishmaelites are indeed a, you know, a, a part of that, like the Assyrians and the Egyptians. Okay. All right. So I, we might ask ourselves then, okay, what does this uh, then mean to us? First, I, uh, uh, clearly what we see here is that in the natural, as we said, we can try to strategize our way to the will of God rather than wait. And that is indeed what, what they're trying to do, what they do. And we see that it does have negative consequences. Uh, uh, however, however, at the very end of Genesis, at the very end of the Joseph story, uh, you, you probably uh, know it, right? That after Jacob dies, the brothers say, uh-oh, what's Joseph going to do to us now that our father is dead, right? And so they say to Joseph, before our father died, he, he said that you need to forgive us, you know? And, and what does Joseph say? Don't worry. Don't be afraid. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And uh, that is not just that statement functions at the very end of the book of Genesis as an epilogue to the entire book of Genesis. Not just the Joseph story, but to the whole, the whole story. And here we see that through this, uh, through this situation, we see that God is concerned for the other. We see that uh, clearly uh, Isaac becomes defined as the child of promise. And, uh, and we uh, uh, understand a lot about the, the sovereignty of God. God allows for the birth of Ishmael. God blesses Ishmael. God blesses uh, the mother of Ishmael, right? Uh, we learned uh, also that Abraham loved Ishmael. Uh, and at the end of the day, we could say that God cares for the other, not only in relationship to Israel, but we can make an application, even in our own world, about God loving the other, right? So look at who uh, Hagar is in that world and in the world of Abram and Sarah. She is the foreigner, she is the, uh, uh, the one with very little uh, stature, the one with very little worth in their culture. Not only that, but here she uh, has nowhere to live, first as a pregnant woman, and then having a child, and that God cares for her. That's number one. God cares for her. And so in our world... We need to recognize that God cares for those in our world who we would consider the other, the ones who don't fit in socially, the ones whom in our world and our culture don't seem to measure up. And we need to think deeply about that. And we need to recognize the character of God in this, that God doesn't just love the other theologically, but he loves the other in a very practical way. And we need to, our, you know, we know that we're called the body of Messiah. We are the demonstration of the life of Yeshua. 
and think about the life of Yeshua. Who did Yeshua hang out with? He hung out with the sinners and the tax gatherers, right? Not because he uh, enjoyed practicing sin and things like that, um, but because he recognized that they were the people who he he came to, to minister to. And of course, the reality is, what a lot of people in his day didn't see, that they all were the other in a way. All sinners, right? And so we need to think about that and not have the normative worldly attitude that perhaps Sarah had or Abram and Sarah had and say, well, in the natural, in our world, well, I don't want to have anything to do with them. They're not like me. Not only not like me, but they come from Egypt, so to speak, right? In the natural, we would say, that's how people are. But you see, that's not how God is. God is different. God created every single person in his image and his likeness, whether we like that or, uh, or not. Uh, and so I think that this issue of God's relationship to Hagar certainly speaks to all of us. And then there's the other issue of this child that is born in a situation that most would look back and say it would have been better if he had never been born. Most of us would probably say that. People say that. It would have been better if Ishmael had never been born. Yet, God had it in his power to terminate that pregnancy. But he did not, supernaturally. He went out of his way, you might say, not to terminate that pregnancy. Isn't it interesting? Who are we to say when you have situations where children are born in very unfortunate situations, what God will do with them? Who knows? But the fact of the matter is, is that look at how God cares for this child that really nobody cared about, ultimately, except his his mother. Indeed, God cares about children born in horrible situations, and uh, it's never a case where it would have been better never to have been born. Go figure that out. I can't. But... It's the, it is the uh, character and the nature of God that every single human being, regardless of circumstances, belongs to God. And we learn all of this in this story of the birth of the chosen one, about God's great concern for the other, right? Now, we will, we will now, next time, go back in order of the chapters But usually when we talk about this issue of the birth of Isaac and Ishmael, we treat it much much more like a natural reading of the text as if God was never even involved. Yay on Isaac, boo on Ishmael and uh, Hagar. But that's not how the Bible plays it out. And all of this you have, you know, I will just say by, uh, by observing the text, there's a chapter and a half given to the welfare of Hagar, the Egyptian, and her child, Ishmael. Uh, Now, that is not to say that, obviously, it is not to say anything negative on the birth of Isaac and his calling. And we'll see that there is this calling. But let us always remember that, that God loves the other as he loves the chosen. Okay? I very, very important. Does God love the uh, Does God love the actions of the other? In you know, oftentimes being the enemy of Israel, coming against them. No, 
But God, uh, as we see, as the Bible plays out, in, especially in the, the no-man-land chapters of Isaiah, like chapter 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, those chapters of Isaiah that we never, uh, hardly ever read, you read about remnants from Damascus and a remnant from Moab and, you know, and uh, the Egyptians and the Assyrians are my people along with Israel. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing uh, 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 to read. And, uh, and so God gives us this great beginning of an understanding of what it means to be the chosen and what it means to be the other and uh, some great lessons for us indeed to learn. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you, God, that in one sense we're all the other until we embrace Yeshua in one sense and then we, we, we become part of that chosen. Lord, thank you, God, for calling out Israel as a chosen people. Lord, and thank you, God, for the other. Lord, thank you that you've given all of us a role to play in bringing out your history uh, and the consummation of all things. Lord, we thank you for what we learn about Hagar uh, and Ishmael and how much you indeed care for them and love them. Lord. And God, thank you that we learn that really whoever is associated with Abraham in one way or another uh, is blessed, whether they are of the chosen people or not. And Lord, we thank you, God, that when we embrace Yeshua, we may not be part of Israel, but we become part of the other in a new way, Lord, in being related to Abram and receive blessing as Hagar did. Lord, and we thank you for these great lessons. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.